0: Welcome again to Door Creek Church. Glad you've joined us, whether it's in person at one of our campuses or online. Great to be together today. And what a great week it's been. We've been celebrating what God is doing in and through people's lives here and across the country uh, through our online ministry. So 17 people, as far away as someone in Connecticut, said yes to Jesus, placing their trust in Him as their Lord and Savior so we're celebrating that we've got resources if you have done that but haven't let us know you can still text right I said yes to 608-292-3456 and we would love to get you those resources as you start your new adventure of walking with Jesus in this world and for some of us it wasn't last weekend over Easter but it's just been over this past pandemic year And God doing good things in the midst of hard things. So let us know. We'd love to catch up with you. I also want to just give a shout out to all of you who are going to be serving this week. That's what we do as a christ Center church for all people. We love humbly extending Christ's compassion to people around us. We love living and sharing the good news. And so just have a great time as you serve And what a great way for us to do these good works that build goodwill in the lives of people that they might hear the good news of God's love for them in Christ. Speaking of the good news, have you ever wondered why it is that that friend that you've been talking to for years, they've got real questions. You've had honest dialogue and by God's grace, you've been trying to just live an authentic, honest life, not hyped up in some kind of spirituality that's full of hypocrisy. But have you ever wondered, why, why don't they respond? Maybe, maybe it's the person that grew up in your family. Maybe it's a brother or a sister, a father or a mother or your own child. And you go, wow, I, I've prayed for this person and just seemingly no response. You've been in anguish. There's been tear shed. You've wrestled with God. God, why are they not trusting you? John chapter 12, as we close out this first half of the book, actually gets at this very thing. We're calling it the mystery of unbelief. But the mystery of unbelief is also all about the amazing, mind-blowing mercy of God. So uh, grab your Bible, John chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 37. Grab your message notes if you want to follow along. And the scriptures are always there in our online bulletin, doorcreek.info. Verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still, keyword, would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, quoting Isaiah 53. Verse 1. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord, his strength, his power, been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Operative word, could. Because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So, John's answer to why are people receiving Jesus? Because that would have been a question that his, his audience, his readers would have had, just like we have it today. Like, what's going on? Like, they're missing out on the greatest. And I, I'm certainly not one who's living a perfect life, but Jesus did. And I keep pointing them to Jesus, and they want nothing of it. And, and John says, well, the reason, the mystery of unbelief is this tension we need to hold, is they would not, because they could not. Whoa. Whoa they would not speaks all about our part in unbelief, reminding us, if you're filling in the notes, that we are responsible, that we're responsible. So it's talking about human responsibility. Could not is going to all be about, about God and his sovereignty, that he's in control. But he starts with this whole thing about human responsibility. And what he, what he points out is there's a stubbornness. There's a resistance, a refusal, if you will. They won't believe. They're not going to do it. They refuse. And we see this happening right in the previous chapter in chapter 11. So a bunch of people came up to Bethany where Mary and Martha were mourning the loss of their brother Lazarus, who's been buried. And Jesus shows up four days later. He raises him from the dead. And many believe, but many refuse to believe. And their problem wasn't that they didn't believe that he was Raised from the dead. They believed that, but they didn't believe in him. That's the key. They might have believed in the miracle, but they didn't believe in the miracle worker. Or as John says in in chapter 1, they didn't recognize him, nor did they receive him. They didn't see him to be who he said he is. The son of God, the promised savior. So notice their stubbornness. That's part of the mystery of unbelief, that we're stubborn. Resistant, we don't want to surrender our lives to somebody else. There's also something else going on here, and that is their situation, that they're in the, in the darkness, operating in their own pride. Uh, darkness, a metaphor for their ignorance and more. They can't see. They're cut off from the light of the world, who is the source of life. Chapter 1, I think it's verse 5. And in their pride, the scriptures say they don't want to go to the light because the light's going to expose that which they love, their way of life and what they do in the darkness and their evil deeds. And they don't want that exposed. It's the old picture in my mind of the 10 o'clock news. And they're, they're hauling off. They've arrested the thug and he's got, his, he's got his coat over his face so that no, we don't want to be exposed to the lights of the camera and the attention of all people. John has written about this very fact and dynamic in chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus is that light. But people loved darkness instead of light, instead of Jesus, because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to turn from that. Everyone who does evil hates the light, hates Jesus, and will not come into the light for fear, That their deeds will be exposed. Wow. Just think about that. Fear that their deeds will be exposed. As if God doesn't already know those. As if Jesus hasn't already dealt with those. But we live in this lie. Maybe that's you right now. That man if I expose that. Man that would just be shame upon shame. Not understanding. That you don't have to live in that. Christ died. Hung on the cross for you. So you be freed from the penalty of your sin and your past and your shame. So loving darkness is choosing darkness. And I love what happens here as C.S. Lewis talks about this dynamic. In one of his great books. Part of the series, a children's series called the Chronicles of Narnia. In the magician's nephew, he introduces us to Uncle Andrew. Who he says at first... You know, when he heard the lion sing, he, he was sure that, you know what, lions don't sing, lions roar. In fact, when he heard the song of Aslan, this Christ figure who is singing Narnia, this fictitious land into existence, like this creation song paralleling Genesis chapters 1 and 2, he, he, he didn't like what he was hearing. He didn't want to respond to that. And when he saw that the singer was a lion, he's going, no way. Lions don't sing. Lions roar. And that was his conclusion. And he would have it no other way. And Lewis writes, and the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. It's not singing. It's not music. It's roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are, Lewis writes, is that you very often succeed. That's a great line. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia awake!" spoke this world into existence. He didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. And when the beast spoke an answer, he heard only barkings and growlings and bayings and howlings. How do we understand the mystery of unbelief? We were created to make free choices. And we are responsible. We are responsible. And so, but there's also God's part in unbelief reminding us that he is in control. He is sovereign. So the first thing John does is say, well, the fact that people weren't responding to Jesus shouldn't surprise us because the Old Testament predicted this, Isaiah 53.1. And then he says the hard thing, and not only that, but that's what God does. God will blind the eyes of people so they can't see or perceive. Uh, who God is and their need for God, who Christ is, their need for Christ. And he hardens their heart, calcifies, gives gives a, a callous over their hearts so there's no responsiveness to the mercy of God. So that if he didn't do those things, they would turn to him and, and be healed. And we're going, well, but wait a minute. Isn't that what God wants? Second Peter 3, 9, God doesn't want anybody to perish, but for everybody and everyone To return, to repent and turn back to God and find forgiveness and healing. Isn't that what Jesus said he came to do? To seek and to save that which is lost. And now John's telling us the reason people weren't responding isn't just because they would not, but they could not. Because God was blinding their eyes and he was hardening their hearts. And we're going, man, this is a hard hard teaching here. And the tension is we resolve it by just focusing on one. Well, that's, it's just, it's, it's, you know what? People are going to hell because they chose to go to hell. Or no, people are going to hell because that's what God chose for them. And we don't hold what the scriptures say. And that is, we make free choices, and yet God is sovereign. We are responsible, and yet God is in control. And at the end of the day, apart from his grace, we are all condemned. It's not as if we started and everybody started with this blank slate, which we're often told. And there is no bad in us. We're just all good. And God's picking sides. And he sees everybody that's all good. He says, I want you. But you know, I don't want you. I want you over here. i not so sure about you. I don't care about your attitude. I'm, I'm loving you. You come into my fold. No, that's not what it's saying. In fact, here's what the scripture says just in John's gospel, chapter 3. Verse 18, whoever believes in him, in Christ, is not condemned. So faith frees us from God's judgment. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Not anew, but already. In other words, it just follows up with what the scripture has said in many places, including Isaiah 53, where, I, where John's been thinking about Isaiah 53, because he's quoting from that chapter right here in the beginning, who has believed our message. In Isaiah 53, it says, like sheep, all of us have gone astray. We've turned away and done our own thing and snubbed our nose at God. And, and we're guilty. As Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so what sometimes the writers will talk about, the scholars, is there's this judicial Work of God where he's just confirming like he did in Pharaoh who repeatedly hardened his heart against God and his purposes. And then it says that God hardened his heart. It's confirming what is the reality of everyone born into this fallen world. It's not how it was from the beginning, but ever since Adam and Eve rejected God's clear commands, doubted his goodness, right? And ventured off rejecting his leadership. Well, then we have fallen in their steps and we are condemned, living and operating in darkness. And so, The beautiful thing here is verse 41 gives us this little aside that seems like an interesting throwaway, but it's like a game changer because it moves us from the the mystery of unbelief where we stand condemned already to the mind-blowing mercy of God that brings us into light and life and forgiveness and hope and all things new in Christ. And it all has to do with verse 41. And it's this little verse. Let's just look at it again. That is just mind blowing. If you know Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said this. Because he saw Jesus glory. And spoke about him. Well chapter 6. Which he's just quoted from. Verse 10. Begins with. In the year of King Uzziah. In the year that he died. I saw the Lord high and exalted. Sitting on a throne. And his train. The, the train of his robe. Filled the temple. The temple. And, and, and the doorframe shook. And the foundation shook. And it filled with smoke. And the seraphim, the angels with six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, flew around the throne and shouted out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full and filled with his glory. And when he saw that, John says, he actually saw Jesus. What? He saw Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews says is the exact representation of God's glory. John said, verse 14 of chapter 1, the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten Son, the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. And so, seeing his glory, Isaiah sees himself. And this is God's mercy. He opens his eyes. He sees himself. He says, woe is me. I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. God, have mercy on me. And the image there in the vision of the angel taking the hot coal, placing it on his lips as a symbol of forgiveness and of cleansing. And so this is, this is how we move from unbelief to the mind-blowing mercy of God. It's, it's all about Jesus and seeing his glory. And what we see here is the mind-blowing mercy of God reaches some of the least likelies. Check this out. Look down in chapter 12 at verse 42. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed. So what did he just say in verse 37? They still would not believe in him, but there were some that believed and we note that they are among the leadership. These are the guys who everywhere we've been reading about them are antagonistic towards Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. They grabbed him and tried to kill him already. They're out. They are hell bent on his destruction. And and John is telling us that the mind blowing mercy of God is such that God doesn't just harden hearts. He doesn't just blind eyes. He draws People to himself through Christ as he's lifted up. Chapter 12, verse 44 on the cross. And that's what he's doing. Even though people are rejecting him, God is still drawing people to himself. The least likelies. You got some of those in your life. You go, no way. Not that person. Well, take heart because these are the least likelies in Jesus day. The leaders who believed in him. But it's a little dicey because now we we get a little more information about their faith and we're scratching our head and going, wait a minute. Are these like the guys in chapter 2 that believed in Jesus, uh, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew their hearts? Because what we read next is, but because of the Pharisees, these religious leaders who had great power, they would not openly, publicly acknowledge their faith in Christ, right? For fear. That they would be put out, kicked out of the synagogue. Like being disowned by your family. Like being rejected by your close friends. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So mind-blowing in his offer of mercy. Mind-blowing that it doesn't just reach his enemies. But here, after rejecting him and rejecting and rejecting him. At the end of what John is going to give here is his public ministry. These are his last words. And he doesn't say. Your blood is on your head. Because I couldn't have said it. I couldn't have demonstrated it more ways. No, he keeps moving towards them in mercy. Keeps moving towards them. And it is beautiful. Now, the reality here is we're, we're catching up with likely two individuals that show up later in the gospel. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago as we looked at Good Friday and the Easter messages out of John's gospel. We run into a guy named Joseph from Arimathea and Nicodemus. We read this in chapter 19. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission. Now it's not a secret. He came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited him in broad daylight. Oh no that's not what it says. Who visited Jesus at night. He too. A coward. Fearful. And so we're not really sure what to do with it here. Is this is this the beginnings of true faith? Is this the beginnings of what isn't yet? faith this is kind of pseudo this is kind of counterfeit it's not there because they've given into fear and they won't acknowledge christ and and so what's going on here well i'm not exactly sure on that so i'm gonna punt i'm gonna punt I, i i do know this that what was going on with those two guys is clear with the religious leaders is clear they were afraid and that was a real thing and that's a current thing that if i stand out and acknowledge and identify with Christ, man, it's going to cost me. What well, Jesus told us it's going to cost. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross. That's sacrifice. That's dying to yourself. Of course, it's going to cost you. But it's hard when you catch up and go, oh, man, I don't want to be disowned by my family. I don't want to be kicked out of my friends group like that's. That's where I have a sense of belonging. That's part of my identity. That's where I find security. That's like my stature and status in life. I don't want to give that up. It was fear and it was pride. It was pride. They love the praise of others more than God. They they crave the applause of people more than the praise of heaven. So here's what we know, though, about what Jesus says about Acknowledging or not acknowledging him. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. Or as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so we're blown away by the mercy of God. That is moving towards people that you and I would have said. Hey, look I know the end of the story. You're going to have me crucified on a cross. Where I'm going to hang naked in humiliation. And suffer this cruel death. Unjust, injustice. Taking on all the sins of the world. And, and you know what I'm finished with you. No no he keeps moving. In mercy. Towards the undeserving. And I love that he moves in mercy. To these people who have continually rejected him. By giving them reasons again to believe. Four reasons come out of. Verses 44 through 40, 40 through 50. See if you can find them. Then Jesus cried out. These are his last words now. That he says to the masses. Before he turns And everything from chapter 13 on. Is directed to his disciples. So these are the last words to these guys. This is what he says. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own. But the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. My words lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. So Jesus gives four reasons to believe. Number one, what he's already said repeatedly. I and the father are one. John chapter 10 verse 30. I'm equal with God. As Augustine would say, in character and in rank. My words are his words, verse 49. Seeing me is seeing the Father, verse 45. Believing in me is believing in the Father, verse 44. He says, I'm equal to God in character and in rank. Number two, I can deliver you from darkness. I can deliver you from darkness. In verse four and five of chapter one, in him was life, Jesus And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, can not, will not overcome it. I can deliver you from darkness. And man, we we catch up with the darkness, not just in the world, but right in our own hearts. And, and, And Jesus is greater than that, can forgive us of that. And get that out of our hearts and lives. So that we don't ever desire any of that. Third. Now is the time to receive mercy. He said I didn't come as judge right now. He's talking about the present coming. His first coming. I didn't come as judge. He's already said that. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Verse 17 of chapter 3. But to save the world. I, I, judgment isn't now. Salvation and mercy is now. Turn to me while it is still today. Today is the day to receive mercy. And the fourth reason. And today is the day to find life, eternal life, that is not just quantitatively something that starts after we die, but qualitatively that abundant life that we have in Christ. So let's bring it home and remember again that it's Jesus Christ, the one who is the exact radiance of God's glory, that bridges the gap, that bridges the gap, that moves us from unbelief, to the mind-blowing mercy of God. And I ask you, have you received that? Have have you seen his glory? I, I would venture to say that for Joe and for Nick, that the game changer of where they went public had everything to do with the crucifixion. Where that was the glory of God, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, where he, Jesus, satisfied God's justice and his mercy all in one at the cross. Justice and mercy kissed at the cross. And have you seen that? Have you seen his glory so that you know that you, you're a sinner like Isaiah? Woe is me. I need your forgiveness. Have you seen his glory so that you know that he's the crucified, risen Savior and what he did on the cross is enough for you? Are you still living in the darkness? Are you still living for the applause of men? And it's tiring and it's wearing you out. And Jesus says, let my love quiet your restless heart. Let my light chase away all that is dark in your world. Remember, we're responsible. Remember, he's given us reason to believe. Remember that his mercy is available today, but not forever. One day we will give an account and the and the measure here is not our good works. It's did we take Jesus at his word? Did we trust in him? Place all of our confidence and trust in him? And you can do that today. You can say yes to Jesus today. As you recognize your need for him and who Jesus is. The son of God who died for you. And then for some of us, we've done that. But honestly, this whole thing about keeping his commands... All the commands. That's a mark of a disciple. We go, well, okay. Are are there areas in my life that aren't yet surrendered to Jesus' Lordship? So is it maybe in a relationship? Right now, we know that that's not a a God-honoring relationship. Is it our, our disposition towards money, our grip on it, our greed, our finding security in it? Is it that habit that's destroying you and your relationships, but somehow you keep turning to it for comfort? Is it your tongue, your anger, jealousy, pride? What is it? Confess it and find its forgiveness. And I'm wondering if there's any secret followers like Joe and Nick who need to do what they did is have this fresh encounter with the cross. And the beautiful thing is the cross was predicted. It wasn't like this twist of fate. This was predicted all all the way back in the third page in chapter 3 of Genesis. That one of the descendants of Eve, this promised Savior, would crush and destroy the enemy's head with a lethal blow. But in the process, he would be bruised. This suffering servant, Isaiah 52 and 53. Go back this week. Reread Isaiah 52 and 53. And come to grips with the fact that Jesus went public for you. For me when he hung naked on a cross bearing the sin of the world. May we, in the power of the Spirit, live for him out in the open, not in an obnoxious way, but in a life-giving, beautiful way so that the Spirit of Christ in us has our lives filled with grace and with truth. And finally, realizing The plight of mankind is that we are born into darkness. We need to pray for our family and our friends that God would open the eyes of their hearts. Here's what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you would grant faith, that you would open eyes as you draw people to yourself, even as we focus again on your Son, who is lifted up on the cross, the glorious cross and your glory so clearly seen. Would you do that, Lord? Would you do that? Would you give us a desire to get out of the darkness and have the darkness get out of us? Would you give us the desire to give up this living for the praise of other people that we would be satisfied with your song sung over us, that you would delight in us and that your love would quiet us. Oh Lord, grant faith, build faith, we pray. Build faith so that in every area of our life we're surrendered to you. And even as you're needling us about an area in our life that is not, we confess that and in naming that we ask you to Forgive us in that and give us victory to turn to you in these areas in faith. And Lord, we pray as we continue to look to the cross that we would be a bold, clear witness for you, that we would be beautiful in the eyes of you, Lord, and beautiful in the eyes of people, and that we look to you to continually open the eyes of people's hearts and lives, Lord, that they too might believe that you are the Christ, Lord Jesus, and in believing find life. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.